Welcome to our second season of Shooting the Breeze. This time, we're casting our net wider. We're going to be talking to inspiring athletes, amazing coaches, and behind-the-scenes trailblazers from across the women's basketball landscape. As we start the run-up to the Olympics, another WNBL season, and the FIBA Women's World Cup being held right here in Sydney, as well as the Opals being ranked number two in the world, this is a great time to be a fan of Australian women's basketball. Don't forget to subscribe and be the first to know when we have more Hoops goodness headed your way. Today we're being joined by Christy Collier-Hill, General Manager of the Deakin Melbourne Boomers. We'll be talking the hub, imports, broadcast, the league and much more. Show the young kids around the place who these amazing athletes are and what they stand for and where they come from. So I like the angle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Joining us today on Shooting the Breeze, our first episode for 2021, is the General Manager of the Melbourne Boomers, Christy Collier-Hill. The old enemy. Sorry, it's that whole Sydney <laughs> Melbourne thing. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Christy. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I've actually been looking forward to this because I was really very interested in a post that you put up on LinkedIn relating to the previous season. And we always wanted to do a show about the last season. And I thought this was a really good time to be able to get you on the show and have a discussion. Sure. How did you find the last season? Yeah. Look, I'm not going to lie. I think for everybody that was involved in that hub season, it was a pretty challenging season for many, many reasons. I think going back a bit, we were very fortunate to have a season. Obviously, COVID impacted many sports and many leagues around the world in different ways. And you know, there were many discussions going on throughout the year last year as to what the WNBL would look like. And I think the fact that we managed to come together, all the clubs came together and the league and worked together to make a season happen. You know, to be honest, I think everybody should be applauded for that because it was an enormous effort to make happen. It was done, it required support from the Queensland government, which, uh, you know, BA worked extremely hard on and made that happen. And that essentially made the league happen. So all the teams headed up to far north Queensland. We were up in Mackay, Townsville and Cairns to play what was a a pretty condensed WNBL season. So it ran across a six-week period, uh, all the games played in that period. So if you think about the challenges that come along with that, first and foremost, you've got the players where we, every team, was playing every two to three days. And you're talking about, you know, athletes who are at the top of their game, playing in the top league in the country expecting them to turn around and be at their absolute best every couple of days was an enormous ask and all teams had a real focus therefore on recovery probably more so than the training element once you're in the hub then from the coaches side they had the same you know the same issues i know we had our assistant coaches up till all hours of the morning cutting film and doing what they could with the previous games to try and prepare for the next games, which, you know, might have been in one day's time. And then from an administrator's perspective, I know from the Boomers, we had myself and a few others travel up. And likewise with Sydney and the other teams, they all had people there on the ground. And to be honest, it was just nonstop. Uh, It was, you know, it's never 24-7, but it was as close to 24-7 as you can get for the duration of that season. And I came up from Melbourne with the Boomers. We travelled up with the Southside Flyers and Bendigo. And for those, for us three organisations as well, we had a two-week uh, quarantine at the start of the season. So that kicked it off for us, which was, look, it wasn't 
as bad as I think others have had it, but uh, it was still a quarantine period and then into six weeks of a, a pretty intense hub season. So the best way I describe it to people when they ask about it is that it was an intense experience, I think, for everyone that went and that was involved. Yeah, and one of the interesting points you touched on was the amount of effort that the WNBL and BA and obviously the clubs put into making it happen. And look, I'm the first to admit that I see the VA and the league as a bit of they're polarizing organizations, but I think everybody who's a WNBL fan has to thank both organizations for making it happen and obviously the effort that the clubs put in. I think also one of the really amazing things that came out of it was that we got to see a lot of really astounding performances from players who ordinarily wouldn't have got minutes. And I think the way that the league approached the whole competition allowed that to happen. Yeah, I agree. I think just jumping back to your first point, you know, we have a, our chair, Tony Hallam, was involved in the, there is a WNBL commission group, which includes a representative of all of the clubs. And he's been involved with the Boomers. He's been chair of the Boomers, I think, coming up to five years. And his experience in that commission, working with Basketball Australia and the league to make the season happen, he said it's the most cohesive the clubs and BA and the league have been in his time. So everybody had a really clear goal and that goal was to make the league happen. It needed to be financially, I suppose, achievable for the league and for the clubs. So the cohesiveness and the ability for all of the groups, and we all have our own agendas, but you know, ultimately we're all playing in the same game and same league, really was not like we've seen before. And already this year, so post-hub season, that, that commission group has come together, the general managers group has come together, and we're, we're still working really well. I take your point about BA and, and the WNBL. Look, there's definitely polarising opinions and they're not perfect and uh, nobody is. I think the last 12 months is the best I've seen BA and, and the WNBL is part of that in the way they've worked and the effort they've put in to make it successful. And obviously Lauren Jackson's been brought in. This is her, I think that was her second season, I'm going to say, um, as head of women in basketball, which which sees her head up the WNBL. And, you know, while she lacks certainly in, the, in business experience, she's been an elite athlete her whole life, um, yep. she's really brought an energy and an enthusiasm and probably a level of respect when we're talking about building the WNBL. So she's certainly brought something to the league that, that probably it didn't have before. And I think that will only continue to build moving forward. I do want to touch on a couple of points you made there. First of all, yes, it is Lauren's second season as head of women in basketball. There has been a really obvious shift in the way that uh, the WNBL and women in basketball have been approached by BA during that period. Where do you think that's going to go next? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question and it probably comes at not a great time considering we've just seen the resignation of Gerald Rector from the CEO role at Basketball Australia. We're really incredibly disappointed with that. We think Gerald was very, very strong in the women in basketball space. Um, her, along with others at Basketball Australia, were driving the women in basketball strategy, something that she began implementing as soon as she began in that role. So where that goes now is probably a question that we're probably all asking because it will, it stems from the, the head of BA. So who takes up that role and what their focus will be is yet to be seen. We think surely it would have to be to continue on with the focus on women in basketball for many, many reasons and the WNBL being part of that. So I think it's a bit of a, 
unfortunately a bit of a watch this space and see. We've got something to look forward to then. We'll see. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the, the season a bit more. Now, from a fan's point of view, I think it was great that there was a season. And it was great to be able to see so much good play in such a short space of time. Unfortunately, I think one of the things that really we missed out on as fans was being able to watch live and that connection that you get with, you know, celebrating the wins, commiserating the losses with the people that you know who are at the games all the time, uh, kids being able to see the players doing their thing and catching up with the players after the game, getting, you know, balls signed, jerseys signed, whatever. Do you think that that's got a potential of a bit of impact to the sport given that we've now been taught what it's like to not go and watch WNBL for a season? Yeah, it's a pretty good question. I think all clubs will suffer from that in some degree. Um, you know, the boom is one of the things that the club really prides itself on is having the players sit out on court at the end of every game while we allow kids to come onto the court, like you say, and sign balls and singlets and get selfies and photos and all the rest of it. And we make it a point that our athletes are out there on court until every last kid has had the chance to go through and, and do that activity with them. So that whole player engagement piece is is super important for us as it is for other teams. It's hard to judge. And I think we'll probably see a bit as, you know, probably when the league starts, but the flip side of the league not of not being able to go to games this season was, and, you know, I'm sure we were planning on touching on this anyway, but the WNBL for the first time in its 41-year history had every game broadcast live this season. Most of it was on KO, which is obviously a paid subscription service with a handful on ABC and a handful on Foxtel and all the finals on ABC and Foxtel as well. So I think for the, I'm going to say kind of for the diehard fans, which is probably a bit of you and I, and for others that have, that love their basketball and certainly love women's basketball and have watched the WNBL, it was the best thing ever because I had people going, oh my God, I'm not only watching every Boomers game, I'm watching every Caps game, I'm watching, you know, and they just loved it. And we brought in new fans because of that, because people were able to to jump on a team if they didn't already have one. The short season enabled them to then follow it, really kind of get into it in that short space of time and kind of uh, get involved, I suppose, in the competition. But you're right. I don't think we had, uh, you know, our, our core audience at games, which is our families and, and probably teens and younger kids watching that broadcast. And we certainly didn't have them interacting with our athletes. So how that's going to look for the year ahead, really, it's yet to be seen. I mean, I know there is data out there and, and you've shared some of this with me previously around people are comfortable now being at home watching their sport and how that looks moving forward. But then we look at crowds in the leagues that are the currently being played in, you know, your AFL and your NRL, and they're having, you know, as much as they can with capacity, but their crowds are returning. The Suncorp Super Netball returns next month. So I think they'll be a real barometer for us in terms of mm. will they get their crowds back or will the fans be prepared to sit home and watch on TV because that league was played in exactly the same way we were, which was they didn't have fans there and they were all in that hub scenario. So it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out to to see if it you know, shows us a bit what we're going to be looking at for our season. We'll jump into that topic about the audiences for a second now. And I've shared some information and what I want to go through is there was a a study that I shared with you that Nielsen Sport did that was talking about sports viewing habits post-COVID. 
And I actually applied that to some numbers from the BA annual report, the 2019 annual report, which had numbers for the 1920 season, which is our last pre-COVID season. Now, over the first 11 rounds of that season, the sport attracted 61,394 fans to games. Uh, It's over a 57-game period. So that's in round numbers 1,100 per game Mm -hmm. uh, attending. But according to that study, 275 of those fans won't be coming back. That is disturbing. But the one that was more concerning was that if we're looking at those numbers, 704 of them are signaling to that that survey that they're going to split their time between sport and a replacement activity. On the surface of itself, it's not a bad thing. I think one of the issues that, that concerns me a little about that for the WNBL is the impact on ticket sales mm. for live viewing because it's a significant source of revenue for the clubs. Mm. And you know, if we take those numbers all the way through, what they're basically saying is 121 of that 1,100 are going to be back as normal. The rest is going to be a reduction. How do we doing things for the WNBL and how do the clubs and the league find a way to counter that? Yeah, I think it's a joint effort certainly between the league and the clubs to get fans along to games. But predominantly, I mean, the league's marketing the league at a higher level. It really is the club's responsibility to market their games and to drive fans to their games and how they do that. And we will have to work harder this year. Our approach to date, and we're still pretty early in our planning phase, is we want to increase our membership this year. So we want to almost double our membership from what we've had in previous years. And we think if we're able to achieve that, that will be a surefire way to to get some, I suppose, some security in terms of our game day attendees. The study is, I mean, it's really interesting and it's it's kind of a bit disappointing, but I'm not sure. I'm just, I don't know if I believe it because I'm just seeing what's happening in other codes and, and I'm seeing people flocking back. I think the other thing, it's really around when we are trying to market to come to our games, it's really about messaging. And I think some of the messaging this year might be a collaborative effort between clubs and league. And that is, you know, this league needs your support to be sustainable. We've been here 41 years and we want to continue. And for that to happen, you know, you've got to play your part. And what does that look like? It might be buying a ticket to a game. It might be buying a membership. It might be becoming a player sponsor or even a sponsor of a club. But for everybody that's supported the league over the many, many years, to get through this next hurdle, everyone's going to have to play their part. So we need them back. We need people back. And certainly what we'll be talking about, you know, that kind of messaging and information about about the boomers, but I think there is definitely a bigger picture there from a league-wide perspective in terms of, you know, perhaps a collaborative effort in that marketing space this season. Yeah, it seems to me that one of the things that hasn't been executed well in the past is that coordinated marketing. Now, one of the things I think that the COVID season has actually given us is an opportunity to change the marketing message a little bit because of the opportunities that were provided to a lot of local players that more than likely would not have gotten the minutes that they got Mm. and been able to show what they can do, which gives younger fans an opportunity to look at someone and go, hey, you know, that's someone from my area, my city, my suburb, my association who's made it all the way. Like a great example, that's someone like Annalie Maley who really didn't get a lot of minutes when she was playing for Southside. When she came to Sydney, she got some minutes and she grabbed them with both hands and really showed everybody what she could do. 
And there were a lot of other players as well who've who've done that. Do you think that that's a potential way of trying to engage fans and families? Yeah, I think you're pretty much spot on. And I mean, every player, every, you know, we had no imports in the league last season. So every roster had a team of 12 Australian or New Zealand-based athletes. And every one of those athletes comes from a town and has a junior club and has a junior association that they were part of. So definitely linking into those and, and utilising those stories is absolutely part of the way that we have to do it. You know, and you mentioned Annalie Maley. There were lots of stories like that. I think the one that springs yeah. to mind was Jade Melbourne, who, yes. you know, had the Caps picked her up and she's from, she's actually from down here in um, Taralgon Way and, you know, had a bit of a breakout season. And now we, uh, Guy Malloy, our head coach, and I were down in Taralgon a couple of weeks ago um, doing a bit of stuff and everyone's talking about Jade Melbourne. They're just so excited and how amazing that she's playing WNBL. And so we saw firsthand the flow on effect that that has when an athlete has that kind of opportunity. And, you know what, maybe you know, we're, we're doing the marketing plan here, but, you know, maybe those <laughs> stories are what we've got to share. You know, it's Jade Melbourne from Taralgon and what's her pathway and how did she get there? And this pathway is a pathway that could be open to any young girl around the country. And we just kind of have to, we have to show them that this is the pathway. It is the elite competition and the national competition. And We've just started up our camps and clinics again, which I know the Flames have done as well, which of course we weren't able to run during COVID. So again, that community engagement wasn't there. But we found the kids absolutely loving it and loving being back on court and learning from, you know, Tess Madgen, who's out there doing coaching. And so we we certainly try, and I know all the clubs do try to kind of expose the female athletes that we have as much as we possibly can. And I say expose in the nicest way, which is show the young kids around the place who these amazing athletes are and what they stand for and where they come from. So I like the angle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you look, you touched on the whole import thing. Mm. And I see that one as it's, it's a bit of a two-edged sword because on one hand, not having imports, and I know I've I've said for many years that I don't think the league needs imports mm. to be able to showcase great quality talent. But on the other hand, one of the advantages that imports do have is it's an example to all the young fans, all the young girls that says our league is so good, people want to come here. And, you know, there's WNBA players who come here to play. Mm. And that's pretty inspirational. So while I love the idea of a purely Australian rosters, it's kind of, I'm torn about that one. Yeah, look, I tend to agree. I um, I actually wrote a blog piece during the Hub last season about saying how amazing the league was with our imports because it was. Um, every team was full of genuine superstar players. You know, your first fives in every team, geez, I mean, amazing. And so it certainly showed the depth that Australian basketball has. And was it any less exciting or less athletic or less physical? No, absolutely not. It was, you know, in those respects, it was just as good. But you're right, what imports bring to the league is international flavour. It shows yeah. where we stand on the big stage. And I think, you know, almost every import that will play in the league, you know, for this upcoming season, imports will be back. Every team will have one or two imports. They're going to be world-class players. So because the quality of the WNBL continues to improve, the quality of the imports continues to get higher. So we will have, you know, in every team, you'll have WNBA superstars peppered throughout the league this season. And that can only be a good thing, right? I mean, it, it shows 
shows the quality of the league. It brings that international flavour. You've got, you know, some of these incredible athletes from around the world. I'm a bit biased and I'll argue that our Australian athletes are you know, just as good, if not better. I, I agree. It's just my view. <laughs> no, no, no. I, look, I agree with you. I think some of the talent that I have seen over the last, like the eight years that we've been involved with the Flames is just amazing. Mm, and I, to this day, I'm I'm amazed that they are actually, they're not all playing WNBA in the off season. Yeah, agree. I think, look, you look at the quality of the players we have here and you, I'm like you, I think, there's a ton of them that could be over there playing and, and why they're not, who knows. But look, I mean, the imports, are that they definitely bring something to the league. It's really interesting from a, I suppose, from an administrative perspective. When we talk about things like membership and ticket sales, what I found and what I'm learning is that unless they're an established player here, they don't tend to have a lot of impact on it. So for example, a couple of seasons back, we brought in Sophie Cunningham played for us as our import and she, she was uh, straight out of college, but a WNBA draft pick great following and we thought I I personally thought amazing you know we'll profile her and it'll help with our membership drive and it really didn't because and it's nothing to do with Sophie it's just that no one knew who the hell she was <laughs> so yeah the flip side of that is we had Lindsay Allen back that year who I think was in her second or third year with the boomers who did have an impact on membership for us and that's because the fans knew her they saw her play they think she's amazing and she's a great person so it's an interesting balance of that so bringing them in with an expectation of, I think, increasing membership or ticket sales isn't the right approach, but bringing them in to have world-class athletes as part of the group to help on-court performance and to help grow the Australian-based athletes is what they're there for. Absolutely. And I think one of the other things is that if you watch some of the more explosive imports, it actually fires up the younger players to want to try and emulate that that's really one of the things the other things that they bring to the table which is really it's exciting to watch yeah it is look and everyone wants to prove themselves against the imports right so what better way to lift that standard just that little bit higher in the league Um, and you see it every year and you know we've had some incredible imports Uh, I think it was two seasons ago uh, Kia Nurse won the MVP of the league first ever import to win the MVP which was I thought pretty surprising but you know we've had the dominance of the likes of Susie Baktovic for many years and so on so probably not that surprising but gee Kia Nurse what an incredible incredible player and every single person who played against her wanted to prove that they could match it with her and it was just exciting to watch every single time she stepped out on the floor and and that's what quality imports bring yeah absolutely okay now one of the things you mentioned earlier and it's something i do want to talk about is tv and pay tv i'm gonna go out and be upfront about this i don't agree with the pay tv mm-hmm. we've touched on this earlier yep. and the reason for that is because to my mind it actually means that there's a large proportion of the Australian population that gets locked out from being able to watch. You know, Foxtel as a group, I think they have, uh, they reach 12% of the Australian population in total. And I'm assuming that when they do publish those numbers, that would also include pubs, clubs, casinos, etc. Yep. as well. So if only 12% of the Australian population is your maximum potential reach, what sort of benefit is provided to the league by being behind a paywall? Yeah, it's a really good question, Paul. And I think, I certainly don't disagree with you. And I think anybody who supports the WNBL and wants to see the league grow 
wants every game to be available to be viewed on a platform which is not behind a paywall. I personally feel every game should be available on free-to-air and I think most people in an ideal world would like to see that. I mean, there's two parts to it. The first part is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, last year every single game was broadcast live and that in itself, while probably a few too many years too late, happened and that in itself was a great thing. And so, you know, you subscribe to KO, you watch every single game, but it was probably, as I said, your diehard basketballers, your league fans, uh, you know, people who have supported teams throughout the past. I don't think anybody at BA or anybody that is involved in running the WNBL would disagree with what you say. The reality of it is, though, it is a commercial arrangement and somebody's got to come to the party to make that happen. And it's not from a lack of effort from a league perspective in making that happen. There's just not been the opportunity. So what does that look like? Does it look like every game on ABC TV or SBS or on their digital platforms, which is over the paywall, so you're not having to pay perhaps? Who then funds that? Is it the league? Is it the broadcaster? Even with the upcoming WNBL season, and uh, they're still working through exactly what the structure of that will look like. But knowing that every game last season was broadcast live, that has created the new base, which is excellent. So every game in the upcoming season, there's a commitment from the league and the teams that the intent is every game will be broadcast live. But the cost then associated with that has ballooned because we're not just all in far north Queensland playing over six weeks. We're all over the country playing over however many rounds and weeks and what that looks like. So it should be free to everybody to see. But at the end of the day, someone's got to fund it. So I don't know, does the government need to step up? Who does it? It has to happen for the league to continue to grow, as you say. I think you said 12% is the Foxtel reach. Um, Mm. It's not enough for the league to grow. The flip side of that is that, you know, KO has positioned itself as, as the home of sport in Australia. So there's certainly a lot of sport on there, but it is behind a paywall. So how that looks in the future, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, look, we, and in seasons gone by, we were obviously like live streaming yep. the games. The stream was being picked up by KO and that's how we got the games to air at one point. Mm. Obviously, the, the biggest inhibitor to being able to get out to, to TV is the production cost. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest issue related to that is because the whole broadcast industry is in a bit of a flux at the moment, there is an expectation that with digital delivery like KO, who currently have, I think, about 650,000 subscribers roughly, right. they've got a certain revenue base and they've got to keep their production costs below to, to obviously return a profit yeah. to the parent. And the issue that comes from that is how do you keep the production costs down low enough to be able to make that viable? That also goes into some another topic that I want to touch on a little later on, which is about financial stability across the league as well. You know, how do we do that? In the past, there were people like ourselves who would volunteer effectively sponsor the teams by providing the the streaming capability. In the case of the Boomers, you guys have Deakin University Mm -hmm. who would come in and be able to do that. I think it was only three teams that KO was taking the streams from last year, which was us in Sydney, yourselves, and I think Adelaide. Sounds right. Ultimately, we've got to be able to get everything to a point where that can be a more common platform across the board. And I don't believe, 
again, purely my opinion, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people screaming from the rafters that I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, But I don't believe that that is going to be achievable with an external third party. I think it's got to be a capability that the league, the clubs have to build in themselves because then it becomes part of your a fixed cost base, which you can then budget for and sponsor across. And everybody who's out there who charges people to live stream is obviously sharpening knives now for me. (laughs) That's the only way I can see it happening where you can get a a standard quality, which could be picked up by KO. And if it's good enough, could then be sold as a package to um, free to wear broadcasters because they don't want to pick up the production cost. But if you're willing to give it to them, they'll take it. Yeah, well, I think I think there's a couple of things there. It's an interesting model because that is obviously one option and an option that the league has gone down in previous years. I don't tend to agree with that model and I'll share with you why and I'll say this with sure. a smile on my face. Um, <laughs> the production quality of the league last season was second to none and as a league we need to continue to improve our professionalism in delivery across everything that we do and I don't feel we'll be able to do that with the clubs themselves being responsible for I put in inverted commas live streaming slash broadcasting you know you said that KO picked up three clubs there was a reason for that because the quality wasn't good enough across the league Mm. and that's okay because that's not what clubs do you know we're not broadcasters the consistency in broadcast the consistency in commentary across the WNBL last season the professionalism of delivery I just don't think we can go backwards on that I think it can only go forwards cost is obviously an issue as we're talking about with how how do we broadcast at a level that is acceptable that from a cost perspective? But even if we were able to find a way to broadcast every game and give that to an ABC or an SBS, there's still no guarantees. Um, they've got to find space in their um, rotations and there's kind of a whole lot more that, that goes along with it. So it's not as simple as just, you know, I suppose broadcasting it and handing over the footage to them. So, yeah, I'll disagree with you on this one. I think we've got to go upwards and onwards and not take steps backwards. Okay. I'll tell you what, we're planning a um, a podcast soon to actually go into this in a lot more detail, and I'd like to get you back onto that. We'll get right into it because, I, look, I agree with you. I think that's, without a doubt, that is the best way for the league to go forward and grow. But I think the technology has gotten to the point where, the ability to be able to provide the quality is there at a low cost. The question is, how do you deploy and deliver the content? So we'll park that one <laughs> and we'll get, we'll get we'll back, come to, back it. to it another time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion. Happy to be involved. <laughs> Great. Now, look, one of the things, again, we touched on was the stability of the league, mm-hmm. financial stability of the league. I'm going to preface this by saying I don't know of any coach who would say no to being given a wodge pot of money and going out to buy a winning team. <laughs> right? But I think, again, it's also a double-edged sword because it sort of creates an arms race situation where if you don't have the funding to be able to go and buy a first-class roster, it makes it very hard for you to be in that top four, which also makes it very hard for you to engage with your local fan base. The reality is nobody wants to go and watch a team that's constantly losing. How do we counter that as a sport to be able to to keep the games running, keep the excitement levels up, but also make sure that we've got the financial stability? Mm. I mean, it's a really good question. And uh, 
you know, you only had to have a look at some of the teams last season and we're not going to name any names, but there no. were, uh, there's probably one in particular that, that was fairly stacked and look, who knows what their budget was for players. But when you looked at team one v team eight in the league last season, and it's a league without imports, gee whiz, it was chalk and cheese. And, you know, there were games that were being won by 50 points, which is just mm. shouldn't happen in a league with eight teams. It's the, the gap was too far and it creates disconnect and it creates disappointment. And even if you are a supporter of, you know, the top team, you know, it's not great viewing to watch a team win against another team by 50 points. You know, there's, there's no excitement in that. You know, you look at things like, we'll talk about, you know, perhaps salary cap. Salary caps are bought into leagues to level out the playing field a bit. And I know at the moment that Basketball Australia and the Players Association are in discussions about what that might look like for the season ahead. Highly likely that something will be put in place. There's no formal information on that just yet. But the reason for that would be to level it out a little bit. We can't just have the teams with the deepest pockets buying rosters that will win championships. Yeah, it, it's a uh, an approach that's probably, I think, started off with the SEQ stars when they mm-hmm. first came in. There was a lot of money spent to buy the roster. Yep. It was pretty successful in that first season to a point. And I think one of the biggest issues from my perspective is that if I put my business hat on, it makes a league with only eight teams financially less stable and also less potential for growth because if you look at and I'm look I'm not picking on you (laughs) if I look at it just a few years ago Boleyn were ready to hand back yes the license to the league and then an investment group came in and said no 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 we'll do this and okay the club's gone from strength to strength since then but for businessmen to be able to come in and invest in the league they want to have some level of certainty about what are we going to be spending to be competitive? What's the budget going to be? Because the great unknown in any sport is it's always the roster cost. And I really hate saying this because I think the players are so woefully underpaid Mm -hmm. for the quality of a player that they are. I think for a medium term, some sort of a salary cap has to come in because if it's in and it's stable and the quality of the play stays the same – then I think you'll be able to attract more business people to invest in the league and invest in clubs, not only in existing clubs, but potentially additional clubs. Yeah, you couldn't be more on the money. I couldn't agree more. It is about financial sustainability. And like you, I think, you know, I would love to see player salaries double and triple over the next, you know, five to 10 years, and they're deservedly so. But right now, the reality is that clubs don't have money to double and triple those salaries either. So it's not a scenario where we're limiting salaries of players. That's definitely not the case. But as you say, the introduction of a of a salary cap certainly does provide more financial sustainability. It does level out the playing field. It does make the league more exciting and enticing for people to be involved. I think you nailed it. Also, I think it was a couple of years ago, there was an attempt to try and having a club in Brisbane. Yeah, I think there's always been talk of having a club in Brisbane and one in Tassie. And to be honest, I think, you know, it's got to happen at some point in time because to be a truly national league, we've, we've got to have teams in those places. And Queensland's got a, hasn't had a great track record. No. There was Brisbane. Logan was around for a while, yeah. and but then ultimately they went SEQ stars. Yeah. And also recently, you know, you had Adelaide that was on a bit of shaky ground and the Bendats have handed the licence back to Basketball WA. What does the league do to put some stability in place in the short term? 
for those clubs that are involved? I think for all clubs, you know, I think it's if you lose one club, mm. then the whole viability of, of the WNBL becomes questionable. It's hard to run a competition with seven teams. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Look, the league is very aware of how important financial sustainability is of the clubs. And when they were working through with the clubs last year, the hub scenario, financial sustainability was one of the key goals and objectives of that working plan because there would be no point having that hub season if it bankrupt a club or forced a club to just go, look, we just we literally just can't do this. The other part was looking beyond that. So looking beyond that hub season and saying, okay, well, this, this will cost X per club to do it this season. How are we going to ensure financial sustainability for the years ahead? Um, and so that is in their discussions right now. And a lot of the clubs, and it kind of comes back to a bit of what we were saying before, are saying um, we've got to have home games again. We've got to be able to get fans to the games. We've got to be able to sell memberships. We've got to be able to engage with people. We've certainly got to be able to engage with our sponsors and partners and have them attend games because, uh, look, I know for our club, I don't know what it's like for the other clubs, but sponsors and partners are a large part portion of our revenue and they were pretty great sticking with us last year but we couldn't do another year like that that's for sure because again Mm. they didn't get to see any games they didn't get to see any players they didn't get to engage with us so it's just about I think from a league perspective ensuring the structure is right ensuring that they're aware of the financial pressures that are associated with clubs and and helping to facilitate a structure that maximizes that for us. It's obviously, it's a work in progress in relation to the the financial stability. Obviously, one of the big advantages that the league has is we've got the World Cup coming up Mm. and the Olympics this year. So hopefully both of those events will help to raise the profile of women's basketball and make it more attractive or at least open discussions with businesses that may not necessarily have seen women's basketball as an opportunity Mm. for sponsorship and advertising and and marketing and co-branding. How do you think that could potentially look over the next 12 months or so? Yeah, look, I would say if you are a business or a brand and you are not yet involved with women's basketball, now is the time to do it because over the next two years, it'll be a a period where women's basketball will be at the forefront more so perhaps than it's ever been in its history. So as you say, Olympics this year, Opals are a genuine medal contenders, hopefully playing in that gold medal game. They should bring home a medal. If they don't, you know, you'd have to be, you know, pretty um, surprised, I would think. And then next year, the Women's World Cup in September in Sydney. So you know, we're talking to a couple of new potential partners at the moment. And, you know, our message is now is the time. Women's basketball is going to be front and centre over the next couple of years. And if you're not on board, then you're going to miss that train, so to speak. So I think it's an enormous opportunity for clubs and the league to maximise what is happening external from the WNBL over the next couple of years and really, you know, bring brands and businesses along for the ride, show them how amazing women's basketball and the WNBL is. And I think now's the time that we have the really big opportunity to do it. And certainly that's the way we're approaching it at the Boomers. Christy, I want to thank you for your time. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I'd like to keep talking about, but Some of it I want to keep for another podcast, and we're going to have a few people on, particularly one about TV. Mm -hmm. I'd love to get you back on for that one. Thanks very much for your time, Christy. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed chatting, and, you know, I think you and I could probably chat about this stuff all day. It's been great. Really looking forward to the upcoming WNBL season, whenever that may be, and uh, go Boomers. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.